creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQALFM on the campus of Winona State University. For 50 years, the nationally syndicated radio show In Black America has given voice to people of color. And John L. Hansen Jr. has hosted the show for the last 40 of those 50 years. John L. Hansen Jr. has interviewed everyone from artists to athletes, and he's seen a lot. But there's always more to see and hear. Today, to commemorate the show's 50th year, we talked to John L. Hansen Jr. about everything from his journey as a young kid from Detroit moving to Austin, Texas, to a decidedly hot interview with Aretha Franklin. I'm Bill Stoneberg with KQL's Doug Westerman and the host of In Black America, John L. Hansen Jr. on today's Culture Click. I'm here with John L. Hansen Jr. today. He is the host of In Black America. And uh, I'm also here with KQL's Doug Westerman. We're going to talk to John L. Hansen today about the show. It has been running for 50 years, it looks like. Uh, John, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm blessed. How are you? And thank you for having me on. Oh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. And uh, In Black America is a show that we air, and we air it uh, Sundays at 11. We appreciate that. The program has been on the air for 50 straight years. I've been the producer for the last 40. Dang. (laughs) So, uh, in in radio, that's two lifetimes. Right. At least. (laughs) Yeah, really. It's unheard of in today's radio. Correct. Right, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so how did you, so you have been producing it for 40 years. It's been out for 50. How did you originally become involved in the show? Well, in 1974, when I had hair, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was a nighttime disc jockey at KUT Radio. Mm-hmm. And if anyone remember. Back in the 70s, there weren't that many African-American voices on the air. Long story short, prior to me taking over the producing and coaching of the program, the original host, Judon Boney, had graduated from the University of Texas. It was his idea to have a African-American talk show. He had three shows. He had the African-American talk show syndicated. He had a television program, and then he had the music program that I initially uh, started producing when I came to KUT. Mm-hmm. So in 1980, there was another African-American station that went online, and management thought that since there was a full-time African-American station, my program, which was the only African-American program in Austin, I would be better served if I did the syndicated program, then according to them, I would have a bigger impact. So in 1980, I took over the program. But also prior to that, the program was produced by other UT professional professors. Mm -hmm. And you had academicians talking to academicians. So you can kind of imagine how those conversations went. Yeah, we understand that. Wake me up so, when you're, wake me up when you're done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So when I was approached to start producing the program, well the program was basically in Black Austin. Everyone that more than likely ninety nine point nine percent was a UT professor that was African American or someone coming to campus to lecture to African American. So my suggestion was if it's gonna be in Black America, it needed to reflect in Black America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they said yes. They gave me a travel budget. 
And my thinking was back then, the only thing they can tell me is no if they don't want to do the interview. So I just started calling people. Uh, you, know, I, you know, Red Jet, Ebony, Black Enterprise, New York Times, any publication I could find to get ideas to do the program. And that's how I originally, uh, for me, got started doing the program. Okay. So the 50-year mark, uh, obviously is a you know it's a capstone event for the program itself but i mean it, it it's coming at such a great time i would imagine from not in, not in terms of the unrest but in terms of the message it is amazing that how things actually uh work out in the long term uh, no one probably could ever could script this that in 50 years mm-hmm. this program will be on the air at this point in time in our history and it just goes to show you what resilience and stick to itness uh, will get you. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the show is like just as relevant, or maybe even more relevant now than it has been? I think it's just as relevant because I find it amazing. After forty years, I'm still interviewing people who are the first at whatever they mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Yes, and. I would not have imagined that in, you know, 2020, you still have African-Americans being the first of any type of occupation or endeavor. It's just amazing. It's a head scratcher. And and then you still have, you know, first-generation African-American students going to college. Mm -hmm. That's insane. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then the other thing is um, I noticed on the KUT website it said that you are the only nationally broadcast black oriented public affairs program. Um, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think or, or how can we maybe change that, you know? It's a commitment from whoever the originating station or, or production house. Mm-hmm. And it's a commitment from the station, but it's also a commitment whoever's producing the program is going to, you know, stand up. Because I'm not trying, I'm not saying that there hasn't been any hurdles that we had to uh, jump over, you mm-hmm. know, during the course of these uh, 50 years. Because, you know, in reality, money is always a problem in public radio, if, if, mm-hmm. if, if nothing else. So you have to, you have to uh, speak your case to management when, you know, budget cutting time and, and we went through a period where you know, Corporation of Public Broadcasting was being threatened by Congress, not being funded. And then, you know, state budgets were being decreased, and UT is a, uh, a state institution, so we had to, you know, trim, you know, trim the budget here, trim the budget there. Mm-hmm. And by and large, minority programs, and, and, and you know that uh, probably just as just as well as I do, is that when it comes time to start trimming the budget, the first thing they look at is minority programming. And mm. to their, you know, to their outward thinking that this type of program can be included in other programs. And that's mm-hmm. not, I mean, you can, but that's not so the case because then it gets locked up in, in, in the wash. Mm-hmm. And then at, at some point, it becomes insignificant, and then at another point, it's not there any longer. John L. Hansen is our guest. He's our host of uh, 
In Black America, 11 o'clock Sunday mornings here on KQAL. It's produced at KUT, and just for our uh, listeners, it's in Austin, Texas. KUT, University of Texas in Austin is where he has that produced. How did you, um, how did you make your way to Austin? That is an interesting story. I like I interesting at, stories. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a state track meet. It was an AAU track meet, and one of the coaches from another team uh, came up to me after the track meet and asked, had I ever thought about attending Houston Tillerson College's university now? Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of, of the institution. And where were you I running was, track? I was, it, this was in, in Michigan. Okay. It was, it was the state AAU competition in, in Michigan in 1967. Okay. And after track meet, he came up, and his name was Mr. Gaddick. God bless his soul. He 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 got a lot of uh, young African Americans from the inner city to, to attend college. Well, he had gone to school with Dr. John King, who was the president of Houston Tillerson. Okay. And he said, "Well, if you think about attending Houston Tillerson, I can get you a scholarship, athletic scholarship." Long story short. I went home, talked to my parents, they agreed, and I caught my first flight and came to Austin to attend Houston Tillerson on mm. an athletic scholarship. Wow. During that period, I was always interested in radio. I had worked as an intern at a radio station in Detroit. Which one? Uh, WJLB mm-hmm. in, in Detroit. worked for Ken Bell. Okay. So after I came to Austin, I got a job at a local, where was it, a local, it was like 30 miles south of, of Austin, mm-hmm. Lockhart, Texas, KHRB. Started working there and worked there through my college years. And then four consecutive years, I tried to get a job at KUT, returned down. I guess the fourth time was a charm. In ah. 1974, <laughs> I eventually got high. <laughs> so, so going back to your youth, black kid from Detroit going to Austin, Texas at age 18. What was that like culturally? It was a a a, a big shock. Yeah. And just 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 to just to illustrate how awkward it was, I left Detroit. And it was in August. So in Detroit, it was maybe in the lower 70s, upper 60s. So I had my athletic letter sweat on, mm-hmm. which was 100% wool. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> we had to stop in Dallas. And, and, you know, back in the 60s, they didn't have the jetway, so you actually exit the plane onto the runway. Well, I get off of Brandon's airline. You know, Brandon's is not an yeah. you know, airline anymore. They had, the, they had the colorful tails. and they, Exactly. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were the precursor to Southwest, I guess. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> anyway, got off the plane in a, leather, in a leather sweater that's 100% and wool, and it's like 98 degrees. <laughs> oh. And I just broke in a sweat. <laughs> But long story short, yeah, it was a because I actually thought by watching television that people in Texas, you know, rode horses all the time. Sure, I didn't know any better. Right, (laughs) (laughs) thing I saw, you know, what I saw television. (laughs) But eventually, I got acclimated 
to somewhat. I still haven't got really acclimated to the heat, so, but I've, I've, I've survived this, these 60-some years now. You, you described it a little bit in the early part of our conversation, but what made you kind of want to get out of the music side and go into the spoken word more, uh, dare I say, thought-provoking? Because my, my whole background has been primarily in spoken word as well. So, because I see it as a more of a foreground listening experience versus a background listening experience, things like that. So, you know, you're a young DJ and you think you want to do this for 20, 30, 40 mm-hmm. years, you know, and play stacks of wax and whatnot. What what kind of triggered you going into, this is kind of smarter, this is kind of what I think I see myself doing more than, you know, the 7 to midnight disc jockey who at midnight is going to go out and chase chicks. Interesting you ask that. My train of thought was I didn't want to be 50 and 60 years old playing records. I wanted my kids to think that their dad had actually grown up and became an adult. <laughs> that was, and that, and basically that was my thinking when I accepted the, the In Black America position. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I also do now the music program that I initially started doing when I came to KUT in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So I've gone full circle. Is that soul? I do F- in Black America, but I also do an old school dance party music program every Friday. Is that soul on FM? That's soul on FM. Oh, cool. Is that just on your station? Just on our station, yeah. Oh. I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, we'll have to stream it. So you're doing, I mean, you're doing like 1960s Spinners, I'm Temptations, Jackson 60s, 5. 70s, early 80s music. You're doing uh, your Hitsville, USA stuff from your exactly. hometown. Yeah. yeah, Motown, Stax, Philly International, mm-hmm. Atlantic. You know, I got a question about that. Like, growing up in Detroit and getting into radio at an early age, mm-hmm. how exciting was that with all the music happening up it there? Was, it, 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 it was the teenage lifestyle of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't sing, so the mess- next best thing I could do was at least play the music. But it, it was amazing. I mean, music was everywhere. And I am talking about all type of music. I mean, it was rock. It was it was country, it was R and B, it was salsa. Uh, we had you know all the different ethnic groups uh, in the city, and, and and basically all of all of them had a particular radio station. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can just go up and down the dial twenty four seven, and the announcers, and that's what really drew me to the industry. Me too. The announcers were just incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they got the chops that they had, but you know they were just smooth. Yeah, I mean our our stories are similar in the fact that I had this little Zenith AM transistor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. radio. Mine had the alligator clips on that used to clip oh, wow. to the side of the the lamp. Oh wow! To increase the antenna, so to speak. Increase the reception. Reception, yeah. 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 I, I should know that word after a hundred years, but <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, I would, uh, yeah, like you said, you you hear those announcers coming in from San Antonio, Chicago, Detroit, Colorado, mm-hmm. you know, and then I just remember um, where you grew up, there was a WJR, the big AM radio station, mm-hmm. ha- they had a show on overnight called Night Flight, and the, announce- right. and the announcer would like, you know, he would take you to, you know, imaginary, you know, tonight we're going to fly into Philadelphia and listen to mm-hmm. And then, you know, here's a nice young group in from 1974, Hall & Oates. It's like going, oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> right. And, and it's like now when I hear something from Hall and Oates, I'm thinking that just means I'm old, <laughs> <laughs> or have good taste, or have good taste. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, John, I kind of want to get back to like. Um, Something we mentioned earlier about relevance and kind of breaking through that type of thing. What do you think about podcasting, like the popularity of that? Do you think that will help not only maybe shows like in Black America, but help young people get into it and get noticed and um, have and, a voice? Uh, have a voice, yes. I was asked that question on, on, on another interview, and my answer to that is yes, it allows more voices. And there's a lot more voices with different points of view. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, any time that you can disseminate different ideas to a larger audience, it's a good thing. Yeah. And what has happened now with the conglomeration of, of radio, you, you know, you have only so many companies that own stations. Mm-hmm. And then you have stations that, are operated by other individuals in other lo- other locations, so it takes the locality, local I guess localization if that if I can coin a, a word out of what radio was intended to be. It was intended, from my perspective and my understanding, to be a commodity that local communities could enjoy and reflect mm-hmm. their particular lifestyle and living standards. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not so the case anymore. It's mm-hmm. all about corporations making money, mm-hmm. and you have a, a a cluster of announcers, God knows where, mm-hmm. broadcasting to 10 and 15 radio stations in different locales that they have no idea what is actually going on in those cities. So podcasts is a good thing, and anytime, like I said, you could ex- disseminate more ideas to more people in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And with the technology that you, we have now makes it easier for that endeavor to take place, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Right, right. I think that, yeah, the uh, the localization has really kind of waned the last 15 years or so. And I, I tell Wayne is an understatement. Yeah, I'm trying to be nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, 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 tell, I tell students in class that it, uh, a a Main Street business has become a Wall Street business, and it's, exactly. and it's not all good. Right. No. You know, speaking of that, what about student-run radio, like college and high school? How important of a role do you think that plays? Now I think it plays a, a significant part for the fact that, and you probably can attest to this, when we were growing up, we had access to radio stations. Mm-hmm. You can actually go into a radio station, and they would oblige you for just being the fly on the wall. Okay, just sit there and watch. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. Uh, you know, due to the fact the way society is, security. And, and the other thing I mentioned, well, some radio stations, there's no one there but the receptions because the people that operate the station are someplace else. Right, yep. So the only way that a young person nowadays uh, broadcast schools are not as prevalent as they once were. So if you're not part of a college process, there's very little, if any, that you can enter this business. 
yeah. as a person from the outside without having any connection with someone that's on the inside. Great point. Yeah, for sure. What what advice would you give a, uh, young people who want to do broadcasting as a career? I go, think just go to Winona that, State <laughs> <laughs> or UT. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would, I would suggest just like you know when, when I started out, there, you know, you have to have a passion, mm-hmm. and that's the first thing because you're not gonna get rich. I mean, you won't starve to death, but you're not gonna get rich, you know, by and large, unless you're one of the lucky Howard Stearns out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't right. think you know that's gonna happen to too many people down down the road. Not the right. three of us, right? Exactly. <laughs> So having said that, having the, the, the passion and willing to not take no for an answer, I think will get you over the hump. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you're going to have to be tenacious because you're going to run into some walls, and I'm quite sure you have. And, you know, I was discouraged, came to Austin, and had worked at, like I said, intern at a radio station in Detroit for mm-hmm. two years and came to Austin. And it took me a while to just get in the door. And then when right. I got in the door, they said I wasn't good enough, I had this problem, and it was discouraging. But I, you know, I, you know, kept my chin up and, you know, took the slaps and kept rolling and eventually... You know, I landed on my feet in Lockhart, and then again, then I landed on my feet at KUT. So uh, you got to be able to roll with the punches. Yeah. Keep fighting. And persevere, for sure. Yeah. You know, um, I'm kind of curious. You had mentioned before uh, how you just started calling people and just started calling for content mm-hmm. and guests. Um, what Do you have, like, a most memorable guest or someone that, you know, a process that you had to go through to get a guest that was, you know, is there a cool story you can tell us from back then? Well, probably the coolest story is I had always wanted to interview Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. And back in the late 70s, and you all may remember this, the Budweiser Beer Company had a traveling festival. Hmm. It was called the Budweiser Superfest. Okay. And for a number of years, they had concerts that they put all over over the country. So I can't remember the exact year. Anyway, it had it was coming to Dallas at the Cotton Bowl in the summer, hot and I don't know what. Mm-hmm. So I had written her people to try to do the interview. Well, they said yes. I could do the interview. I could do the interview. And this was via snail mail. Right? This is via snail mail. Yeah, this yeah. is all phone and, and, and mail. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's it. That's crazy. You had to work for it. Yeah, exactly. And wait for it. And wait for and, it. And, right? and, and, hope, and hope whoever that you were told to send this information to actually received it. But once they received it, they actually read it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, long story short. Aretha gets to Dallas. It is hot. I mean, very hot. Sure. Mm -hmm. Her trailer air conditioned doesn't work. Oh. (laughs) So besides it being hot outside, she was hot 
literally and physically. Gotcha. Right? So she was not into doing anything with anybody. Oh. Unless it had something to do with staying cool. Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. So I told her, well, I told her to tell, I told her manager to tell her that I really wanted to interview her and my grandmother was a member of her father's church, which she was. Oh, very good. And that's the only reason. So we sweated for like 15, 10 to 15 minutes mm-hmm. in her trailer. But the only reason she agreed to do the interview is because her manager told her that I said that my grandmother was <laughs> a member of her father's church. Oh, wow. Whatever, well, that's about what, the, the best story. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Talk exactly. to the Queen of Soul. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> that's fantastic. What, oh. um, how do you, I mean, you, you, you talk to so many people in, ter- in, in across so many professions in terms of, okay, medical, artists, authors. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you looking forward to talking to politicians nowadays? <laughs> when I can. Uh-huh. They are not at the top of my calling list. Right now, no. Not right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, well, now, because of the fairness doctrine, if you talk to one, and if they're running for office, you need to, you know, search out the the other one, equal time. And for right now, I am not into doing equal time. Yeah. Right. Now, after this elect, after the election process comes and goes, then I may uh, consider doing politicians. But nine times out of ten, and and you probably can attest to this, politicians going to say what's going to be in the best interest for them mm-hmm. in the long term. Mm-hmm. Right. So you really don't get a straight answer <laughs> yeah. from them about anything. So right now, I don't need that. Yeah, and so you you, you told us the great story about Aretha Franklin. You know, when you're doing what you do or what we do for a number of years, but when you're doing a talk program and you do all these interviews, is there is there was there like one or two takeaways from one or two subjects that kind of like stick out that maybe even something you apply to life? Interesting question. Some time ago, maybe about maybe about 10, 15 years, I used to cover, I think it was the National Black Education something. Anyway, Sunita <laughs> Ford, she was, and I can't, you know, after so long, you forget the title of these, these, these organizations. Yeah. Anyway, she yeah. was a professor. What was her name? I'm sorry, we didn't get the Kalita name. Ford. Kalita Ford. Kalina Ford, it was the organization that she founded and, 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 and did masterful work with. She was a professor at Florida A&M University. Came from a small town in, in Oklahoma where I think she said almost 80% of her high school graduating class obtained PhDs. Never heard of that before. Whoa, wow. Hey, I mean, 80%, and it was like a small town in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Oh, 80% of her high school graduating class, all of them obtained PhD. Anyway, during this time, 
she brought in a lot of African American intellectual educators, college presidents, anyway. One individual's name was Reverend Samuel D. Proctor. I always talk about it when people ask me about uh interviews that, that really had changed or made a significant impact on, on, on what I do. Anyway. Dr. Proctor was president of Virginia Union. He was pastor of Marriage's Abyssinian Baptist Church. That's the church that called it. I'm not calling it, but uh, oh boy, I can't think of his name. Congressman from New York, Adam Clayton Powell. Okay, was the church that he originally uh, pastored. Anyway, Reverend Proctor talked about his dad, and and I was interviewing him. He said. Mr. Hanson, uh, no one ever, you know, interviewed people like my dad. Steady man, brought his paycheck home for his wife, to his wife, took care of his family, never missed a day at work, and just was an upstanding citizen. Nobody ever, you know, interviewed individuals like that. And it got me to thinking is that we don't. For one, we don't come across them or we don't seek them out. And that may... An impact in that is that by seeing his dad do what he did for so many years made him the man that he became. Mm-hmm. And that struck with me is that if more individuals, regardless of their ethnicity, had dads like Reverend Proctor's mm-hmm. dad, I think the world would be a much better place. Yeah, yeah. we... uh we tend to, not intentionally, but we don't tend to get enough perspective. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and you know, yeah. sometimes it's because of where you live or how you're raised. You know, you have to you have to go from, you know, Minneapolis to Philadelphia, from Detroit to Austin, or you know, from mm-hmm. your yeah. small town, Bill, to Winona. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few cities in between. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. So how far are you off from Minneapolis? We are about uh, two hours right. south. If you look at um, look at Minneapolis, find the Mississippi River, uh-huh. follow the Mississippi River, and you should find Winona. If you find La Crosse, you've gone okay. past Winona, then go back north. <laughs> okay, because I was up in Minneapolis, you know, for the, you know two years ago. I yep. think what two years ago for the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and I guess my blood had gotten thinner. Oh it, yeah, you know, I'm sure. It and it was well that and then it started snowing. Well, yeah. And I said, Nah, I think I need to keep my butt close, which really worked out because everything was out at Mall of America. So yeah, they had all the hotels out there. It was close to the airport, and I wasn't want to be. I didn't want to be that adventurous. You didn't. You didn't have to. You didn't go down to the university campus. I think the was it. Philadelphia was at U of M, and then New England was out by the mall and whatnot? No. Uh, whatever they took us on the bus, that's where I went. Okay. And <laughs> the hotel was right maybe a quarter of a mile, half mile, you know, from Mall of America. So I, so you were outside maybe a total of seven minutes during the whole time. Right. The, 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 big, the, the, the longest time I stood outside is that, which was real crazy, because we had to go through all this security procedure yeah. to get in, and it's freezing outside. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just amazed how they were able to to construct that stadium 
right downtown in the middle of that residential area. I yeah. mean, this is just nuts. Well, and and, bef- and before that, it, it's on the same footprint as the old Metrodome. It is? Yeah. Because I, I, had, I had gone there before the last time they had the Super Bowl, and they had the blizzard that came through there. Yep. Which was, was was insane, but I, you know, I had I had I had no clue of you know the right the the, the geography the layout geography of right. where I was and yeah they between uh, the Metrodome and and then um, U.S. Bank uh, the U.S. Bank Stadium yeah yeah they tore down the Metrodome and the Vikings played two seasons in the Gophers Stadium outside mm-hmm. before moving into U.S. Bank okay so great uh, great talking to you yes. Bill, Doug, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Gal, this was this was fantastic. Uh, Excellent. Thank you for joining us, and congratulations on your success. And uh, this was this was a riot. Uh, John L. Hansen Jr. in Black America Sunday mornings at eleven here on KQAL. Yeah, and hope we have many, many more years of it, John. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all for being a part of In Black America Nation, and we appreciate your support. And uh, tell your listeners uh, we greatly appreciate them listening on a weekly basis. Thanks again to John L. Hansen Jr., the host of In Black America, for joining us today on Culture Click. In Black America can be heard at 11 a.m. Sundays right here on 89.5 KQAL. For more information on In Black America, go to KUT.org. To keep up on all things Winona and the surrounding area, tune into Culture Click Thursdays at 1230 right here on 89.5 KQAL. I'm Bill Stoneberg, and we've just heard from the host of In Black America, John L. Hansen Jr., on Culture Click. Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click. <music>